This is the Interesting-ish Podcast, where I hope you listen long enough to say, this was pretty interesting-ish. My name is Rick Myring. I'll find the interesting stories so that you may find that your story is interesting too. So that what? He said it in a way that I wasn't sure what he was getting at. I had just come off of teaching a leadership lesson in a group that I work in, and I had talked about you have to take people somewhere, and yet I wasn't doing it in this podcast. I love sharing interesting stories. I love telling people about conversations I have and, and capturing those. But the question was, so that what? What is the end result? What are we doing here? And that was the challenge that Brad Nelson had for me at the end of our conversation in this upcoming episode. He is a dear friend from a good decade ago where we were in a house church together in a small group. Brad has been around uh, brilliant thought leaders for the better part of a decade. And this is a story about him finding his own voice. I have found in my first seven episodes that I use a lot of the same language in my podcasts. One word I use a ton in this podcast is the word trajectory, Uh, so forgive me for repeating that all the time, but we do follow uh, Brad's trajectory of uh, leaving college and uh, getting married um, and going from the real estate industry to working at Mars Hill Bible Church to starting his own church down in Ocala, Florida. Another word I often use for my guests is uh, the phrase, a wealth of knowledge. And once again, Brad is a wealth of knowledge. He uh, is really honing in on mastering his craft of teaching and speaking and packaging thoughts in a way that people can digest them and and really touch their heart. Uh, The quote I'm going to start off with is just under two minutes, and it really captures that essence of what Brad's trying to do. His so that what is often that people we will begin to see with the eyes of their heart. And uh, we ask him the question and the three questions, what's good? So you get a little tidbit of his answer of what's good here at the start of the podcast, and then we will go back to the full conversation. For any of you that are searching, that are longing for more of the divine in your life, theologians, pastors, uh, or just lay people, uh, this is a great conversation for you, and I hope you enjoy. Please, too, forgive the audio levels in this episode. They can be a little bit low. Just turn uh, Brad up in the headphones and uh, enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening. When I think about what's good, the, the thing that's really fun for me and interesting to me is, well, everything. Right. So how do you move through life with that lens and begin to look with this question that asks where is the goodness inherent in that yeah and man when you switch over to that way of engaging with people with the world yep it is such a different experience hands down what you're for rather than what you're against hope and possibility versus cynicism and skepticism oh my gosh so you know i talked about this yesterday in the teaching but the way vision works you your brain often sees your vision will often see only what it is looking for for. and it filters everything else out but sometimes when there are gaps in knowledge or information our brain will fill those gaps with what it expects to be there based on our past experiences. Right. So whatever you're walking around carrying inside of you, like nurturing, focusing on, intending, giving your attention to, your brain will actually see that and filter everything else out. For sure. And your brain will also see it where it doesn't exist because that's what you got going on inside. Based on past experiences. Yes. So if you walk around with original goodness gratitude you will see that and you will begin to filter out all the other stuff and then you'll actually see it in places where it doesn't it doesn't yet exist right
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Interesting Ish Podcast. I am in Ocala, Florida with the one and only Brad Nelson. Hey, hey. Welcome. Uh, we're going to start right out um, on some heavy theological topics. <laughs> <laughs> You'll understand where I'm going with this, though. Um, we all know that sin is to uh, essentially miss the mark, right? It's kind of yeah. uh, either an archery term or kind of this idea of, we have a high status, we aim for, and we miss the mark. Mm -hmm. You have a church named Brick City Church. Now, I've seen your, your jump shot. I've played <laughs> some pickup basketball with you. And I think what better way to start a church community than the transparency of a pastor to admit that he is in Brick City world. Oh, please. <laughs> please. No, but When, go, when go. did we play? Uh, a little bit at Cornerstone. Maybe just a few times with Dan Crane, Mark Boss. Okay, okay. Yes. Maybe yes, once yes, or yes, twice, yes. or were you not in on that? No, no, no. I, or I J.C. Park. I, yep, Did you ever come out to yep, those? Yep, I remember that. It was probably yeah. unforgettable for you because I was, I was captain of Brick City, actually. Uh, well, I was put here to play soccer, not basketball. Mm. Way better with my feet than... Than hooping. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But tell me a little bit. I've asked a few people in town. I've been in Ocala for a couple of days. Um... There's several industries called Brick City. What's the history of that with this, this yeah. town? So the city square, just a couple blocks north yeah. of here, uh, well, south of here. The city square is, is really old. I think one day in like the late 1800s, I guess there was a baptism. Somebody was getting baptized out at Lake Weir. Okay. And pretty much the whole town was out there for this baptism. And while they were gone a fire started in the city square and it burned down most of the city square and so they rebuilt the city center and they did it mostly out of brick there's a good price on brick at yeah, the time yeah so they did it mostly <laughs> out of brick and so that's why it's called brick, you know the brick city okay and so when we started the church we you know we're trying to figure out what to call it and it didn't feel right to come up with some Greek or Hebrew word. Like, nobody, nobody's going to know what that means. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, some cool-sounding church name like Watermark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something like that. And no, no shade there at Watermark churches. But, um, you know, between the wine labels that mm -hmm. we were looking at, that nothing like that wasn't bringing anything to mind. <laughs> and finally, we were just, like, settled on this idea of being people who are rooted in a place and what it means to be placed people and a sense of placeness that yeah. almost like the old parish idea that we all get this plot of ground that is our territory in the kingdom mm -hmm. like to to live out the story of redemption down to every last blade of grass and this is our place so the Brick City Church just made sense. That's awesome. And my my wife and I, we got to attend church yesterday, and we just really felt, honestly, a sense of home. Those are the, her exact mm. words. Um, we, we will get into a little bit of history of how we ran into each other over the last 10 to 15 years, but um, spent some time at Mars Hill Bible Church there with you. And uh, we are in the business of finding a more local church. We're not close to Mars Hill anymore. And it's been a challenge. Mm. Um, so when Sherry, my wife, sits in church and has the sense of teaching that really speaks to her soul and mm -hmm. the sense of worship, um, those can feel like superficial things to essentially shop for yeah. in a home, in a community. But when you say you have a sense of home, um, that's what I think a lot of people are looking for yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, it was funny. My wife said to me after we got home from lunch, why is it? that we can sit down with Rick and Sherry, who we haven't seen in so long, mm -hmm. and just pick right up. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I said to her, how interesting. We haven't seen these people in, what, a decade? Right. And yet, we're on the same journey, kind mm -hmm. of in the same area, yeah. still asking the same questions. Yeah. Um, just in different places along the way and that was really exciting but I said to her something that I had said to you at lunch which was I could say to you hey tell me your story mm -hmm. and both of you would know exactly what I meant by that 
and then you would do it and then there would be this like holy interaction and that was the thing I loved most about Mars Hill okay it felt like there was this critical mass of a particular kind of people who they just had this way about them mm-hmm. that they wanted to know your story they wanted to know who you were and that's what that for us just sitting with you over lunch was like oh that's home that yeah. feels like what we know what we come from and sometimes it's hard to find around here yeah yeah and so I, I have a friend I'm interested in kind of that trajectory for you I mean that's meant community and, and other takeaways that you take away from community but you also have engaged you know from a career level in what we call proper ministry and we could get into the semantics of that that we all are in ministry on some level but I have in a lot of times in this podcast I've been chatting with people about small pivots they've made in their life in their adult life um, from essentially one career to another and what brought them to the place they're Mm -hmm. in today I've got a friend, Dustin Anderson, back back home in the. Do you know Dustin at all? Drummer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was yeah. on. He was in ministry. Or yeah, he did. Uh, he was with Aaron and, so and Troy good. for a lot he's of years. Such yeah. a good drummer. Well, he was a big audio guy, and he had his own um, studio that he actually has turned over to one of the Odie brothers now. They oh, they manage cool. and run. They do like um, they do a lot of uh, books on on audio, and he ends up gets contracts for like That's romance cool. novels and stuff. Like that. <laughs> um, so, but I, I want to say four or five years ago, Dustin transitioned from owning and running his own audio studio, sold that, and got into real estate. Hmm. And he's so right for real estate at the time. He's he's put on some different videos of beautiful homes and people in the home, and, and really has got a knack for selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is he does it with grace and just yeah. brilliance. Yeah. So he transitioned from something he he definitely loved and seemed to be like. His real, his real deal, but has found a career path that's right for him now. Mm-hmm. You were once in real estate. Yes. Tell me about that. This is this is post college. Give us kind of your 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 storyline. Yeah. In college and then heading out. And, yeah. Yeah. So I went to college to play soccer and nothing more. <laughs> I had absolutely no sense of. I think it's ridiculous that. 18, 19, 20-year-olds mm-hmm. are having to decide and spend tens of thousands of dollars about what they want to do for the rest of their life yep. at that age. Yep. It's just a ridiculous proposition. Yeah, and it's my hope that's shifting from, yeah. I mean, that was kind of an automatic in our day and age, yep. kind of late 90s, early 2000s. Yep. It's getting to be, people are looking at that system and saying, what could we do differently yeah. here? Yeah, I, I was just talking with a guy in our church. He's 70, Yeah. and he was saying to me, you know, I may have two years, I may have 10 years, but I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And I meet people in their 40s and 50s who are like, I'm just just trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. (laughs) And I'm like, you never, we never stop asking that question. Right. Ever. And so anyways, I ended up at college to play soccer Mm -hmm. and... I met this woman there that I, I knew I wanted to get married to and I had to have some form of income. So I, look, I looked at what I had and said, what do I have the most of to get out of here? And it was education. Well, I did student teaching and thought, there is no way really? I'm becoming a teacher. Like those people work so hard for so little, just not happening. So I got my real estate license, started working at this custom home construction place and then everything started to change we read a book we met steve weber who was at mars hill at the time yep and we were reading the divine conspiracy by dallas willard yeah and it talked about life it talked about salvation and the kingdom of god not as where you're going when you die but the eternal kind of life now Mm-hmm. that you begin to live this depth of life right here in the present and eternity bleeds into this space here and now. And so we started having these conversations about what would it look like to tell an amazing story with our life mm-hmm. rather than the typical we're going to climb the corporate ladder and have a great cottage to bring our grandkids to up right. north, you know. Right. And long story short, we ended up 
traveling with Steve to Southeast Asia and went a number of times and ended up saying, we're, this is what we're supposed to do with our life. We feel like we're supposed to go serve as Mars Hill's liaison between the church and all of our partners in Southeast Asia. Okay. So I spent a summer there with IJM, like yep. watching some of the undercover stuff they did in the jungles of Thailand. That was mm-hmm. that's a whole other thing. But that'll be the next podcast when yeah, I when right. I come down to Florida in twenty twenty. Right. <laughs> and um so I quit my job mm-hmm. and I needed to just draw a paycheck until we had raised our money to get to to China. And we were in a house church uh, with Steve Weber. You know this because you joined it a little bit later on. Yeah, I was on your heels a little bit there. Yeah, and so Steve was like, well, we have a temporary job in the mail room at Mars Hill. Like, there was a literal mail room. Yeah. And so for like a month and a half, I sorted mail at Mars Hill. I ran printing projects for people there. Oh, yeah. And then that month and a half was running out. And... They had somebody else in the church that was shifting over to take that. And I needed to find something to do, so I just said, hey, you have an opening for the janitor. Can I can I be a janitor just yeah. until we, we get over there? So we did. I transitioned and became the janitor. And yeah. then my sister, my little sister, her husband was killed in action in Iraq. Mm-hmm. He was 20 years old. She was 21. This was 2004? 2004. Yeah. So she moved in with us in the aftermath, and we were like, we can't go care for widows on the other side of the world when mm-hmm. we have one in our own home. Mm-hmm. So we decided to stay, and I continued to be a janitor for like another eight months. And I remember walking around with this, I changed my life because I wanted to live a more compelling story and I'm cleaning toilets. Mm-hmm. And that was so hard. And then, I don't know, a year later, Steve came to me and said, listen, if you're not going to be in China, I would love to have you here as a pastor. Would you want to be a pastor? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I've already been cleaning actual shit. <laughs> so Let's do a figure. Why <laughs> not metaphorical? Why not? You know? Yeah. And so I did that. And then, like, it was just this this rabbit hole of a combination of following my curiosity Mm -hmm. but also like this sense this intuition that I think I have something to say and I'm supposed to use my voice to say something and so I was like a small groups pastor then an education pastor and then I ran Sundays and coordinated all of our guests and got to work with Rob about creating the sermons and so he basically taught me his craft like Mm -hmm. here's how you create a sermon here's how you approach it here's how you think about giving it all of this kind of stuff it was just amazing yeah and um so was that Marcel for 10 years yeah and I can remember you know trajectories through two three years where you'd either get a different label or, or or kind of you were putting your focus towards different things and essentially you were like you said, you know, you were kind of a firefighter for how we do community and not necessarily putting out fires, but standing back and creating these 30,000 foot views of, mm-hmm. um, you know, Mars Hill was experiencing growth and a trajectory that was so outlandish at the time in terms of how you package community together. Mm-hmm. So at one time you're saying, okay, this is a regional approach. We're going to go right. northeast, southwest, and, <laughs> and we're going to try to say, hey, these people are in proximity. Um, and then that came with its own type of topics where, okay, these people are in, in one part of their journey and these are not. Mm-hmm. So then you did um, some ideas around topical connection. Yep. And I, that's, a, that's, a major, that's a major thing to tackle to say, okay, there's anywhere from 6,000 to 9,000 people coming to this you know, organization on, mm-hmm. a, on a weekly basis. How do we create actual authentic connection in a small right. way with all of them? Right. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting to me about that, even still as a pastor, is, and we, you'll hear people talk about this all the time, that we live in a culture that's more connected than any other culture in the history of humanity. Right. And simultaneously, a culture that is probably more lonely and isolated than any other in human history. Mm-hmm. And so people show up 
just starving for and craving real meaningful relationship right and what I have found over the years is trying to concoct programs Mm-hmm. or events where you take this responsibility upon yourself like it's our job to right. help you do that. No. Right. All all we could ever really do was create an environment where it was likely to happen. But at the end of the day, like it's your choice. You mm-hmm. either choose to be in community or you don't. And that I think the consumer mindset is so pervasive that people bring that to relationship and it makes fostering real community really hard. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I saw over and over is if you tried to gather people together around, hey, we're similar. We are in the same life stage. Mm-hmm. We are the same socioeconomic class. We have the same number of kids, all that kind of stuff. It rarely ever lasted. But if you organized a group of people around, there's these kids at the school that need winter coats. And mm. every year in February, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. All of a sudden, you had like a 60-year-old woman who's about to retire. She's single. And she's having the most life-giving conversation. And how similar she is to, you know, the 28-year-old mother of two. Yeah. And those relationships would last so much longer. They would endure because they were built around this common mission. And I think that's that's the thing is find something that you care enough about where you're pouring yourself out for something. Do that, and you will find meaningful relationship around you. So much, yeah, for sure. Talk to me a little bit more about how we talk about and grow community. You had mentioned a quote to me, I think, from Eugene Peterson the other day in terms of how he approached community, how large they were going to get, and then this destination versus journey together, kind of the the cruise ship topic. Yeah, so Eugene Peterson, who just passed away, uh, which was so sad. He was such a great writer. Um, And he's like the consummate pastor. Yeah, Pastors love to read him because he really really grasps what this world is. And... um, his church in Maryland, they built it. They built this new church, and it, I think it seated like 500 people. Mm-hmm. And he made this commitment that we're not going to build another one. We're not adding another service. I can only actually be a pastor to this many people. Right. So when we reach that point, like we're not doing anything to throw the doors open anymore because this is like this is it this is Mm -hmm. the limit and i'll live within that limit and that is so antithetical to the culture of organized religion Mm -hmm. um evangelical christianity right now Mm -hmm. sky jathani wrote this little this little thing called how churches became cruise ships yeah where he talks he talks about the study that was done on the passenger ship industry and what happened to it once uh, airplanes started carrying passengers across the ocean. All of a sudden, prior to that, there were all these passenger ships, and a lot of them, their main purpose was to be a vehicle that got people where they needed to go from Mm -hmm. one point to another. Well, with airlines now, there was no need for all those little ships. So... The ship owners realized if we're going to survive, we have to change what we do. We have to think differently. So the ships became bigger, and the ships, instead of being a vehicle to get people from one place to another, the ships became the destination themselves. Right. And that destination was organized largely around entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so there were fewer ships, but the fewer that there were, they were bigger, and they had all of this entertainment built into them and it wasn't a vehicle to get you where you were going with your life right it was an entertainment destination that was a recreational exit from your life and he talks about how this same thing is happening with american churches Mm -hmm. there are fewer and fewer but the, the as there are fewer there's this economy of scale sort of where 
the churches that do exist are getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And they are primarily these entertainment destinations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people have misconceptions about that. You know, you know, you would attend Mars Hill Bible Church in West Michigan or, or around the, the, the states, and you could have any number of reactions from people, and people use the, the term megachurch. Mm-hmm. And I know Rob, for instance, and really the whole community really pushed against this idea. Yeah. Um, we had minimal to no signage in mm-hmm. terms of where we were. Mm-hmm. We were fiscally responsible with what we did with the... With the um, with the building itself but like even taking 17 years to get a new stage and mm-hmm. the stage is starting to fall out from underneath troy you know <laughs> like so it, it was such the antithesis of that in yeah. both worship and style but you get labeled because of your growth yeah. it was that on authenticity that created the growth yeah. um but such a pushback on that and um I'm trying to think of oh so now as i've exited that authentic experience about mm-hmm. a year and a half two years ago and we've tried to get, we're more on the lakeshore and grand haven area and we're trying to find local churches we see th- synthesized voices in worship and we see more of a focus on the performance of the worship mm-hmm. and almost a separation of the congregation from those really excellent worshipers and there's nothing wrong with that but it, it is less of a, a communal invite than a witnessing of a performance yeah. and um that's that's what so many people thought was happening in this authentic experience in the early 2000s of Mars Hill. Yeah. And um, I was realizing how much um, of the church was heading in that direction, this entertainment-based experience. Yeah. Um, and this, that was a cha- that's been a challenge. Yeah. This, this same guy I was talking about just a moment ago, Sky Jathani, he okay. wrote another book called The Divine Commodity. Rob actually put it on my radar back when I was at Mars. He was like, you have to read this the divine commodity the divine commodity yep. and he talks about the commodification of jesus of yeah. faith and how that all plays itself out in church world and it's just when you read it you're like oh that is so painfully true yeah. but you know i always want to try and keep a a particular perspective about it because yeah. We have a lot of people come to our church from other mega churches, and their story is almost always the same. If it hadn't been for that church, I never would have met. Absolutely. I never would have met Jesus. Absolutely. Right, and so I think it's in, like I always try to remind myself: you can. It's so easy to like be negative and to be hate. Be smug and cynical, yeah. and but sure. these churches, like, they exist to do something different like our church is up to something different than that church and that church and that mega church over there and those mega churches a lot of times are really good at introducing people to jesus absolutely and so you know i i never want to be the voice that's throwing shade right i always want to be the like person that's cheering on and saying no you're doing something yeah valuable and important absolutely so we find yourself uh, at the end of your time at Mars Hill, and you're curating different speakers. Um, you're coming across brilliant voices, mm. and you're kind of being, okay, we've got some pockets in July where we could really use your voice. Brilliant authors. You know, Ian Cron came through. You mm-hmm. said Mark Scandrett. Um, Brian McLaren came through at mm-hmm. one point. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the other guy? Myth of a Christian Nation, Boyd? Yeah, Greg Boyd. Yeah. yeah. He's and so, awesome. You're, so you're meeting these folks. You bring them into Grand Rapids sometime in terrible weather, um, and you're witnessing all these voices. What's happening with your voice at that time? Yeah. So this is this is really funny. There were a handful of us. Mark Boss, who yeah. you know was in our house church. He owns a film company now, Boss Creative, mm-hmm. and he is. I mean, he's genius. They're doing outstanding work. Unbelievable work. By the way, quick side tour. I remember this whole conversation of like wanting to find your voice. Yeah. I remember sitting at the Barnes and Noble on 28th Street with Mark. We were both in the same place, feeling like we were made for so much more, yeah. feeling like we had all these people speaking into our life, telling us about our potential. And yet, I'm a janitor and he's designing menus for this crappy Mexican restaurant in Elder Heights. 
and we we just sat there kind of like bleeding yeah. and commiserating together but also dreaming and it's so funny now to sit with him mm-hmm. who he's you got this film company that's doing so well yeah and he's found who he is yeah. and i feel like i have found my voice but mark myself and my other friend brad gray yeah we were roommates in college and um the three of us started meeting in my basement to to kind of learn the craft of teaching okay. and so we turned this room in my basement into what we called the lab yeah and we i would, remember significant whiteboard work yes down there. yes we yeah. would just draw out the sermons on the walls and the idea was that anytime one of us was preaching somewhere teaching is the better word for it sure we would come together and just kick the crap out of the idea mm-hmm. like nope nope gotta do better it's gotta be better in these ways we would like disassemble it reassemble it disassemble it again and then when one of us would talk we would listen and yeah. then critique and it was just great so we you were inviting each other in to find the holes in your yeah, work exactly and how you could master it yep and so we were moonlighting like I worked at Mars Hill but eight to ten times a year mm-hmm. I was going to churches and other places to teach to try and get that like place to find my voice yeah and i remember i so i was asked in 2008 to teach at mars and like i wasn't i was not ready to do it Mm -hmm. and i think i taught in between like the week before me was john ortberg (laughs) the week after me was walter brueggemann you know i've given like 15 sermons yeah And so I went up there, and I just, I feel like I laid an egg. Mm. Like, it was just painfully aware that in front of 3,500 people is not where you learn to ride a bike. (laughs) And um, I remember after that, I was supposed to teach again in October, and at the time the elders made this decision no more staff people are to teach on Sundays and it felt like just this kick in the gut that no you you don't have what it takes this is not your place that's not your thing um and it was really, really painful at the time. As I look back on it now, mm-hmm. it's very obvious to me, like, yeah, that's not the place where you learn. Yeah. Um, and I, I can appreciate it, but it sent me into this tailspin of, like, is this what I'm supposed to do? I felt like this is what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And um, so it was, it was a long way, and then it was a long way, like, to stay stay on this path right and i ended up leaving mars in 2012 came to florida and came mostly on this hunch that i feel like i'm supposed to go find my voice yeah and there was this opportunity here in florida to teach you know 12 to 15 times a year Mm -hmm. shortly before i left mars hill we had uh, a guy from kansas city uh, from Jacob's Well, just a fantastic guy, and he, I took him out to lunch, and was asking him like, "Who's teaching at your church while you're here?" And he was telling me, you know, we brought somebody in, and I was like, "Well, how come you, how come you're not using, you know, the people that you have there and kind of helping them find their voice?" And he was like, "Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Wow, you only find your voice by using it." Mm-hmm you're not going to find your voice teaching four times a year. You have to, you have to do it right. over and over and over again. You only find your voice by using it. And I have never forgotten that. And it has turned out to be so true. Yeah. So true. You just have to do it. Yeah. You just have to get started. And so I chatted with your wife yesterday after church, and you're in a particular church community down here where a lot of people really are seeing something in you. It's something fresh and new, and maybe particular regionally, it was something mm-hmm. they weren't seeing yet. And she mentioned one gentleman, Chris, who started to put sticky notes on your car. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would come out of like the father-daughter dance and there would be this business card with a note on it that's like, when are we starting this thing? <laughs> when are you starting yeah. the church? Yeah. When are we starting this thing? Yeah. You need to start this thing. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. And the way it got started is there were there were four families and it felt like there was this kind of under underground mm-hmm. river of people in the South here, yeah. evangelical lair, so yep. to speak, who they had left the church, but they hadn't left Jesus. And right. there's no nowhere in town that they were going to go. But we had built these relationships around campfires or running together, right. training for marathons. And they, this group of four families were like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Let's, like, we'll we'll jump off the cliff with you. I have one friend who literally said, if you jump, I'll jump. Yeah. Like, I will do what I can to take care of you. Wow. And so we did. Wow. So four or five years into Brick City Church, and you guys just found your own kind of physical location you're yeah. calling home. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we've never done any advertising. Mm-hmm. Like, the Mars Hill stuff is, like, deep in my marrow. Right. And so we've just grown... Yeah. little by little like family by family yeah. and started out with around 40 and we're anywhere from like 100 to 130 on a Sunday now yeah. at five years in and it's it's been fun it's been super challenging starting anything is hard oh, yeah 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 I, I think of speakers that come in and they've got a green room and you know not necessarily within the church where uh you know you have only the red M&Ms or, right, or right, you're really right. you know taken care of but I'm watching you, and you're, you know, you're putting in the sweat equity of church still. Yeah. You know, you're you're playing guitar yet with the worship team, probably not every week. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got your own clicker in hand for the next slide of your, oh, yeah. you know, and so you're not you're not being padded. Your ego's yeah. not saying, not in in, in a disingenuous way. Yeah. I I believe you know you you guys have authentic community here, and that's yeah. really. The, the master marketing is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. The way mm-hmm. things really grow to a place that you enjoy them is organically, family yep. by family. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, uh, what an awesome, awesome journey about finding your voice. I'm thankful you are in the midst. Um, I saw Steve Carter uh, years ago prior to him uh, being a part of Willow Creek and, and really having some major leadership roles, but he came back to Mars Hill and spoke, and he talked about mastering your craft i think it was mm-hmm. this malcolm gladwell idea yep. of of ten thousand hours and uh i gave him a little note of of just saying hey seeing where you are today in terms of you mastering this art of teaching not that you were bad then but man you've got it now yep. and to see you bring us home yesterday um you shared that that video clip of that guy seeing color for the first time mm-hmm. and you're you're kind of narrating over it and i'm just like oh Brad has taken us there, and uh, it's so awesome to watch, man. And that's authentically saying, um, I hope it can only keep growing from here. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the fun thing about it, and I think anybody who is truly, truly a teacher would tell you this, Steve included. I love my time with him. Yeah. It doesn't get old. Right. And most of the time, you're teaching to yourself. And you never, it's like you are not the teacher, you are the primary learner. Yeah. I'm this community's primary learner, and I dive down this well week after week, and then I'm just like showing, like, look at all this stuff I found. Yeah. Right? So it's a, for me, it's much more a, like, I'm just talking to myself. Yeah, being the learner on display. Yeah. 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 yeah, and people are just listening in and being like, oh, me too, me yeah. too. Yeah. But the craft element of it is, I mean, there's just, it's so satisfying to figure out what your thing is. Mm-hmm. Whether that's I build businesses, I start schools, I create lesson plans, I sell houses. And to give yourself to one thing. Yes to such an extent that you start to really home in on what is the craft mm-hmm. what and how do I do this well man that's when things get fun yeah for sure well in transition we're going to finish with three questions that we do in every interesting-ish podcast 
and they really are shaped around uh, beginning with what is good, um, really focusing in actually on kind of the trajectory of the creation story that, that God made, he created, and he called it good. Mm-hmm. We want to begin with what is good. And the second question, we want to talk about what needs redemption, what is kind of bad in, in life, either around you or something that you've got a particular voice and heart yeah. for. Yeah. And then we want to finish with what's next. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, what's good in Brad Nelson's life? Well, so I'll start like on a theological cosmic mm-hmm. scale. What's good? everything everything I grew up probably like you probably like most people in Christian world with this idea of original sin yes that you all all of us show up here infected uh, deeply flawed something very very wrong with us and it needs to be made right yeah and I don't deny that we are all flawed marked by sin marred in some way that that needs repair that only the divine can offer. But, as Rob would always say, the Bible starts with Genesis 1 and 2. And the refrain over and over and over in those poems are, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw... It's like, if you had to choose one word to describe this whole creation experiment, it would be good. Mm -hmm. And so, sin is not a thing. Like, you can't have a bucket of it. You can't hold sin in your hand. Sin is a parasite. It only exists as a corruption of that which originally was meant for goodness. Yes. And so I love to remind people of this idea of original goodness and talk to people about original goodness. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about what's good... The, the thing that's really fun for me and interesting to me is, well, everything. Right. So how do you move through life with that lens mm-hmm. and begin to look with this question that asks, where is the goodness inherent in that? Yeah. And man, when you switch over to that way of engaging with mm-hmm. people, with the world... Yep. It is such a different experience. Hands down. What you're for rather than what you're against. Mm-hmm. Hope and possibility versus cynicism and skepticism. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I talked about this yesterday in the teaching, but the way vision works, you, your brain often sees, your vision will often see only what it is looking, it's for, looking for. And yeah, it filters yeah. everything else out. Yep. But sometimes when there are gaps in knowledge or information, our brain will fill those gaps with what it expects to be there based on our past experiences. Right. So whatever you're walking around carrying inside of you, like nurturing, focusing on, intending, giving your attention to, your brain will actually see that and filter everything else out. For sure. And your brain will also see it where it doesn't exist because that's what you got going on inside. Based on past experiences. Yes. So if you walk around with original goodness, gratitude, you will see that and you will begin to filter out all the other stuff. And then you'll actually see it in places where it doesn't, it doesn't yet exist. Right. And I love this. So there's this woman in our church, her name's Rebecca, and I feel like her gift as a person is that she has this unique capacity to believe people into larger versions of themselves. Wow. So my daughter Clara wants to be a singer, but she's super shy. Mm-hmm. And we've tried to sign her up for voice lessons. She doesn't want to do voice lessons because she's terrified there might be a rehearsal. And Steve and Rebecca, our friends, were over one night, and Rebecca, who is a musician, mm-hmm. gets wind that Clara wants to be a singer. So she says, Clara, do you have like a comb that you sing into? Do you have like a hairbrush? Clara emerges from the bedroom with a rose gold Bluetooth microphone. Really? And she's like, no, I sing in this. <laughs> and so Rebecca... It's like the Britney Spears yes, piece? You, yeah. No, no, no. It's like you, uh, a mic that you actually hold. Oh, but right it, on. it amplifies and you can connect it to other oh, music so you can sing along with yeah. other music. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
So Rebecca gives her some pointers about singing. And that night after they left, Clara spent an hour in her bedroom with the door closed, mm -hmm. like doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, Rebecca, a couple of weeks later, she asked Clara, would you sing at the Christmas Eve service? I mean, and I, she said yes. And I said to Rebecca, listen, there's no way she's going to do it. So just be prepared. Yeah. She's going to show up. She's going to see all the people. She's not going to do it. So she gets there, and she goes through with it in front of hundreds of people. And I'm taking video, and I watch the video afterwards, and Rebecca is playing piano, and she's like six feet away from Clara. Mm -hmm. And she's just locked eyes with Clara, and she, you can see all of this belief mm -hmm. is coming, it's emanating out of Rebecca, going straight into Clara's soul. Man. And it's like watching a person become who they they were meant to be yep. right in front of your eyes. Yeah. That's like that's it. That's yeah. what's good. Yeah. Like that's what I want to live like that. Yeah. I want to do that. So, what's wow. good? Everything. Yeah. That's going to be my precursor to the three questions from now on. It's going to be like, let Brad tell you about why we ask what's good. <laughs> and it ruins my whole narrative of Brick City Church. Oh. I began with sin now. i got to edit that out. That up. is so funny. <laughs> uh, transitioning, what, what needs mending? So in that, in that lens of gratitude and mm. goodness, um, things have fallen short, and there's pain, and there's hurt in the world. Yeah. Where does... Where does your voice or your heart for justice come in on what needs mending? Yeah, man, there's so many things. Yeah, you know, I mentioned being in Southeast Asia with IJM and seeing that, and you know, in the middle of a jungle at 10 o'clock at night, surrounded by teenage prostitutes, mm -hmm. and every 10 minutes, a white dude who looks like he's from the Midwest walks yeah. in. You're like, wait, we're in the jungle in Thailand. Yeah. And there's this whole sex tourism industry there that is just fueled. Yeah. It's fueled. And so that's one of the things for me that's like, ugh, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, our culture of objectifying women mm -hmm. and seeing them as play toys for whatever it is that you have going on in your twisted heart, like not okay yeah and so not everybody can jump on a plane and go kick down doors in thailand it's actually not even all that effective right but if you want to do something about it like start addressing your own lust start right. addressing the objectification of women around you all, all of this kind of stuff so so there's there's that kind of stuff i feel like the world is more polarized yeah. than it's ever been in my lifetime yeah. very entrenched us versus them I feel like what the world really needs right now are a bunch of people who like Jesus can enter into these situations and be there yeah. in such a way that says no it's not A neither is it B totally it's actually C, which is a combination of both and something altogether different, yeah. right? And I was just thinking the both and, yeah. and, and answer C. Yeah. yeah, and so, you know, there's that. And then, you know, we talked about community. I think people are profoundly lonely. That's another thing I yeah. feel like really needs to be addressed. And then probably the one that I connect most to is the culture of denial that we live in as it relates to pain and suffering. Yeah. So, you know, I there's the poem Lamentations where after Jerusalem has been sacked by the Babylonians, Jeremiah per, he personifies Jerusalem as this this woman who's just been desolated. Yeah. And in the first poem, there are 22 lines seven times. And that's how Hebrew writers indicate like here's what we're trying this to get important. across, yeah, yep. repetition. Seven times in 22 lines, daughter Jerusalem says, there's no one to comfort me. There's no one to comfort me. And that's what pain, the experience of pain does, is it isolates you. It yeah. makes you feel alone. It makes you feel like nobody can understand. And <clears throat> I think there's so much 
anesthetizing our pain, denying our pain. Like, hell, I just get so busy mm-hmm. that it's like I don't have time to feel that right now. I'm yeah. just going to like shuffle it away, keep it my to-do list. I'll feel that later. Right. And then I forget about it. And like three weeks later, I'll be like, why, why am I so sad? Yeah. And then once I'm still long enough for the spinning to stop, all this stuff that I haven't processed and sat with starts to come back around. And that stuff, it goes somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. It will come out. Yeah. It finds its way. And so I think one of the big things that we need are witnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in the next poem in Lamentations, there's this turn in verse 13 where the narrator has just been describing the loneliness of daughter Jerusalem. But then in verse 13 of the second poem, the narrator turns and speaks right to her and says, what can I say for you? To what can I compare you? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in pain, that's what people crave. They crave witnesses. Some of my really close friends lived in San Francisco and they told me that people would regularly jump to their death from from the Golden Gate Bridge and almost everybody would jump on the city side because even in their death they're essentially saying would somebody please see me somebody see this pain and I feel like that is one of the things that we are called to do if you just look at Jesus's life and ministry he goes where the pain is he goes where the pain is and like he exists there he's present there and yeah sometimes he enters it in a way that fixes or alleviates it but there are all these other times where he just enters it and lets it wash over him Mm -hmm. lets it do something to him and i feel like man what would happen if that's what we were known for like we are present to the pain of the world yeah holy cow that would be amazing In our last question, uh, what's next? We talked about what is good, what needs mending. What's next, either for your community, yourself, or you know, the story you're on? Yeah, so what's next at a philosophical level? <laughs> yeah. I don't ever want to say because I want to like be open to totally. whatever it is. I love, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert who talks about, no, don't follow your passion, follow your curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you decide ahead of time, this is what I'm passionate about, there's all this potential for disappointment and heartache and sorrow. But if you just follow your curiosity, you're like open, number one. But number two, if something doesn't work out, you're just like, oh, I mean, I was just just having fun. I was just experimenting. (laughs) And I feel like that kind of energy, that sort of approach takes you to such better places than here's the plan here's where we're going right so as a church we didn't declare like a mission statement right and that was intentional because like how arrogant to assume that because we now are a 501c3 Mm -hmm. along with all the other 501c3 religious organizations in this town that we have a new vision to bring god to the neighborhood in a way that God's not already there. Right. No, God's already there. Our job is not to figure out what's next and make it happen. Our job is to be still long enough to discern where God is already present and active and up to something and to join in with that. Yes. And that's the fun thing for me is not what do I want to do, but what's happening around me and how could I be a part of that in a way that would bring life to me and bring yeah. life to others? So there's there's some of that. Now, part of what I feel like is happening for us is we're sort of swept up in this cultural moment where it feels like some people say that the church is dying. I don't think the church is dying. Mm-hmm. The church has survived plenty down through the ages. <laughs> Um, Prior to Facebook and social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Western (laughs) secularism is not going to take it out. Um, Right, right. But I do think what is dying and what is changing is the form or expression of church as Mm -hmm. we know it. 
Um, church is a 501c3 organization that meets on Sundays and runs a bunch of programs and does all this this kind of stuff. That, I think, is dying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not all that sad about it, to be honest with you. And so we, as a church, like we're kind of discerning this and sensing, okay, well, what is the new thing that yeah. God is up to? Yeah. What is the What is the form or expression of what's happening here that will help us to be faithfully present to our city. And what that is for us is something more along the lines of social enterprise. Okay. So we have this opportunity right now to purchase this entire city block in in Midtown Ocala. Wow. And it is right now, it is the development zone that the city of Ocala is focusing on. Right. Most of the time churches aren't allowed to locate in development zones, A, because they're they're tax-free, so right. they don't pay taxes, so they don't generate any good for the neighborhood in that sense. They don't attract traffic to local businesses, mm-hmm. and, and they typically have a pretty bad reputation in terms of like paying their bills <laughs> right. and moral failures and that kind of stuff. Sure. And so churches are seen as parasites mm-hmm. when it comes to the development of a city. Mm-hmm. So we really want to change that and ask, okay... If we purchase this block in the heart of this development zone, how could we use this church as communal space, form a public-private partnership with the city to redevelop it, to revitalize it, to attract business, to to create this taxable base, to even use our facility not as religious space on Sundays, but communal space to be used all throughout the week. Right. And so I'm having all kinds of interesting conversations like there's a guy who wants to start a brewery who mm-hmm. wants to start it like right there and like so we're talking about him starting a brewery right um, and just all of this really interesting stuff that feels more in line with the kind of good news yeah that I think of when I read the Gospels mm-hmm. when I read what Jesus means by good news in like right here right now it's good news for the neighborhood for sure and uh, that that's where God is taking us at the moment, and I, I love it. Man. I love it. Outstanding. That is good news. I think the most appropriate transition on the way out would be for you to look over here. Uh, Brad Nelson at one point had about a two-year run uh, sharing some Lennyisms with us, and this <laughs> is his father-in-law's one-liners. And uh, when Brad puts his little twist on Lenny's voice it just is pure gold there are many of us that were followers on social media for a while where we just couldn't wait for the latest Lennyism and uh, what what was your tagline Th- oh that things Lenny says. hashtag things Lenny says <laughs> so if you're familiar with the the book the Twitter handle maybe even the TV show shit my dad says right am I allowed to say that you are on it okay. interesting ish for okay. sure um, it's very similar to that my father-in-law is a diehard conservative Republican, but he's also like a retired construction foreman. Right. So he's got like these two, so he's hilarious, he's super loving, but he also comes across as this like cantankerous. (laughs) Totally. And he just loves to pick on me about A, being a pastor, uh, B, having a vasectomy, um, all, all of this kind of stuff. So he just never lets off it. So I'll just give you a a couple of them here. Sounds good. Uh, oh, yeah. He, Obama was one of his favorite targets. He's So he was up one day, and we're putting rice in the rice cooker to, to make dinner, and I'm packing the rice cooker up, and he says, Brad, you're going to want to have this handy once old Obama gets his way. <laughs> I mean, it's just, just ridiculous. Uh, you know, he loves Labatt beer, Labatt's okay. beer, yep, yep. Canadian beer, and so he's like, I walked into that Publix and found the manager and said, listen here. I'm through shopping at this rat's nest until you start carrying Labatt's. And, I mean, he, he says that. Um, yeah, these are not made up. This is not on a sitcom. Like, he yeah, said that uh, to yeah. a Publix manager. No, what's this other one? He, uh, he, he'll he always say to me stuff like, Pastor, should you be drinking that long neck? What would the flock say back home, you know? <laughs> Just uh, one time we were at the beach and this this old guy, like probably in his 80s, he was all shriveled up and mm. wrinkly skin hanging down. And Lenny says, look, look at this guy. 
this guy's 28 years old. He's been a pastor for eight years. Look at what they've done to him. <laughs> That's your future, Brad Nelson. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this time. Uh, it was a true honor and joy to to swing through Ocala, to see you, to it's see Trisha. It's so great um, to be with you. Yeah, so we hope for more, and uh, thanks for joining us on Interesting-ish. Thanks, man. All right.